LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Where would we be without a laugh? (laughs) Right here, right now. Anyway, it's nice to have you company. Welcome along to, uh, to Thursday. Well done. Well, well done. Well done. Fantastic for actually making it through everything yesterday, which I knew you would. I didn't have any doubts in my mind that you would walk, you would run, you would cycle, you would roller skate, you'd skateboard, you'd do everything to get into work. And it didn't matter how long it took you. I spoke to, oh, must be a dozen people yesterday. They all said the same thing. We're going to work. We're not going to be beaten by bully boy strikers. You know, as far as I can say, they can sit outside the tube stations till the cows come home. I couldn't care less. I've often thought that poor old Bob Crow was like some old dinosaur. And when I heard him yesterday discussing, you know, people having to reapply for their jobs, I began to wonder how old this man is. I can remember going back 20 years, LBC was taken over by another company and the staff had to reapply for their jobs. Makes perfect sense. It's called progress. No point in having somebody who's just going to sit there being blooming useless, which kind of describes the ticket office staff. You don't need them. And as was pointed out yesterday, they've had more than a thousand people who work in the ticket offices sticking two fingers up to Bob Crow and going for voluntary redundancy. So what was the point of the RMT members coming out, silly little girls' blouses? What was the point of that? They've already gone for the voluntary redundancy. They've decided that they'd rather take that money, go do something else. I don't understand, you know, perhaps Bob Crow's just clinging on to the last vestiges of life. I don't understand. You don't need the ticket offices. They're not that, you know, the eyes and the ears of the railway station. That's a load of old cobblers that went out years ago. There's people working on the platform. They must be really feeling miffed. The people who work on the platform with staff, you know, can I help passenger assistance? They must be thinking, hello, what about us? It's what we do. We help passengers out. You don't need somebody behind a bit of bulletproof glass. I did feel like going down the other day when they were actually working because, you know, they're not busy all the time and they sit there. There's, hard, there's no personality that comes through. There's no personality that comes through on things like that at all. And sort of then collapsing in front of them to see how many have done first aid or trying out different languages just to see how many of them speak different languages, which Bob Crow is proudly telling us they all do. It's a load of old rubbish. load of rubbish. You beat it yesterday, you'll beat it today. It reminded me very much, every time I see Bob Crow, he reminds me of one of those big, fat, well-paid union leaders in Carry On At Your Convenience, Boggs and Co., which was uh, Kenneth Williams on the Carry On cast. And I suppose it goes back to the rag trade, where you've got the union convener. They're old dinosaurs. They're old has-beens. You know, everybody out. And then Carry On At Your Convenience. I'm All Right, Jack is another classic one. Peter Sellers playing a union leader. Well, you can't do that, can you, lad? No, we'll not have that. No, no. Two people doing the same job. What, you want to take one of them away? What for? Time and motion? No, I don't think so. Everybody out. And that's what Bob Crow's like. He's like an old dinosaur. He's stuck in the dark age. It's all right for him. He still keeps getting paid. He couldn't care less. He's got to be seen to be doing something. So what he does is he sort of makes all the members. Yeah, you're coming out on strike. We don't want to come out. You're coming out on strike. I'm still getting paid, but you won't get paid. He must be laughing at them. I feel a bit sorry for the poor RMT members. You know, it's, it's a shame that people don't vote, as indeed they did in the end in Carry On At Your Convenience. They turned around to the union convener and went, do you know, stuff you. We want to go back to work. We want to go to work. What's it got to do with somebody driving a train, whether or not there's somebody in the ticket office? Nothing at all. They must be thinking, I mean, I feel like surveying them and saying, you know, it's, it'll, it'll, be very, it'll be very good if you manage to remember everything that happened on the Jeremy Kyle show yesterday. Because I'm assuming that's what they all did. You know, OK, we could do a quiz, especially for our MT members. So, who was the third couple on the Jeremy Kyle show? Who, what was the name of the woman with all the tattoos on her neck? 
OK? And then sort of we could do a quiz about this morning and all the other rubbish daytime programmes. It's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Sally Burko, again, I mean, I don't know why we're bothering with this old baggage. To be honest with you, I mean, you know, she's had her day. Um, somebody said the same. Some columnist and friend Louise Mensch. Some old has-been, I'm afraid. And uh, she gives the alternative view on the kiss. She says, so what if Sally kissed a bloke goodbye? I've done same. She's a big personality and Britain loves those. Oh, grow up, Louise. Nobody, nobody even bothers with you, dear. And she says, Sally is irrepressible and fun. She's an old woman who's got three children whose husband is trying to maintain something. Louise Menchu uses her column at every opportunity to promote her husband's business, you remember. I mean, I don't know why you bother asking Louise Mensch about anything at all. I mean, it was only a short while ago we were planning on losing her to America. Sadly, she stayed. And we've had to put up with her lame column ever since. Other stories of the papers. I did not have sexual relations with that man. Liz Hurley. I don't know how this one's emerged. This is an old story, as far as I'm concerned. And um, they say here um, that she had a year-long affair with him. Now, I, now at this same party... I think you will find Martine McCutcheon was at. I'm pretty certain Martine McCutcheon was at this same party because I spoke to Martine about it. And she went to this party, which was Bill Clinton and, uh, and lots of people. Astonishing reports have alleged that Liz Hurley was bedded by Bill Clinton while Hillary slept in another room. Um, Clinton famously said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That was about Monica Lewinsky. And now... Poor old Liz Hurley splashed all over the papers. There is no doubt in my mind she's a good-looking woman. I don't know if she did. I don't know if she didn't. I couldn't care less. I couldn't be less interested in whether Bill Dirty Boy Clinton did anything or not. I'm really not that interested. I mean, you know, it's, it's just... He's a sad old man. And he had a fling with Monica Lewinsky. I did not have sex. You did, you stupid man. How these people... I mean, honestly, it only goes to prove that sometimes the presidents of the United States are even more dumb than you imagine. We all remember, don't we? Who was the uh, one... Uh, we had Clint. Who came after Clinton? George Bush was after... Who was before Clinton? Bush again. So we had Bush one side, Bush the other side. Who was before Bush on, on the other side? When we had Reagan. Reagan used to make anti-gay jokes because he was so dumb. He really was... He used to make jokes... About because it was all well well documented him and that that dreadful ghastly old baggage of a wife that he had Nancy Reagan you remember famously refused to curtsy to the Queen because Nancy Reagan assumed she was near to royalty as opposed to sort of marrying some failed old has been actor from Hollywood Reagan yeah we got the Reagan inaugural library oh whoopee doo and then you've got dirty old Bill Clinton George Bush who was off with the fairies after time because it doesn't matter about the presidents of the United States who they are they're only working to somebody else's doctrine. That's what they're working towards. Somebody else puts the words in their mouth. Somebody else writes their speeches. They're just the figurehead. You're looking for a popular figurehead. You know, somebody who can turn it around. That's why Obama is very popular. They looked and they, they decided he would be the right person. You know, in the same way that we vote for people in this country, we vote for prime ministers and they, they promise you everything. They tell you that the world is going to change. It's going to be fantastic out there. And they tell you you're going to be better off if you're a pensioner. They're going to tell you everything you want here. Everyone will have a job. Well, nobody wants to work. They don't want to work. They haven't even managed to get rid of the unions. The only person who stood up to the unions and did it very well was Margaret Thatcher. She was the only person who stood up to them, you know, and treated them for what they were. Occasionally, the unions can be good. Occasionally. 
But in the case of Bob Crow, he's an old dinosaur. He's past his sell-by. You know, he goes, the strike was solid. Oh, well, bully for you, mate. Bully for you. Londoners still made it into work. They still persevered. And, uh, and we emerged the other side. OK, so it took you a little bit longer. But do we care? No. We stick two fingers up to him. We go, you know, <laughs> we don't care. Daily Mail on the front uh, page. They've got Murdoch wife and her breathless Blair love note. And then you've got Liz Hurley and the rumours of the tryst with Bill Clinton. Plus, the PC in attack with an OAP car. Now, you probably remember this story. This is PC Mike Ballion. Uh, he smashed the windows of a pensioner's Range Rover in a video clip that became an internet hit. Um, he was ridiculed by colleagues for battering the disabled driver's car 15 times. So people laugh, you know, ha, 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 at it, because everybody does that. I'm sorry, whether you're an adult or a child, you laugh at somebody, don't you? Ha, 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 you were caught, you're on the internet, mate, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, he was apparently so traumatised by this that he's just been awarded £440,000. That's the equivalent of 12 years' pay for a PC on a top grade and excludes his legal costs. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. I have no doubt in my mind that poor old PC Mike Ballion wasn't really fit for purpose. Because if somebody laughing at you at work, and they are trained police officers, they are trained for somebody to abuse them, and they stand there and they don't say anything at all. That's what they train them at Hendon for. In other words, you know, somebody shouting abuse at you in a, in a demonstration. If they were all like PC Mike Ballion... They'd all be collapsing in tears, but they're trained not to. So why is it when he goes back to the station, immediately people start taking the... out of him, and he goes to pieces and so gets money? We're compensation mad in this country. Compensation barking mad. Uh, Murdoch's wife, this is Wendy Deng, apparently listed Tony Blair's um, attribute. She says, Tony has such a good body, legs, butt... Whatever that's butt. You know, but he's got blue eyes or something. But no, it's it bottom. And she says, I'm so missing him. And so there's a picture of uh, Tony Blair on holiday in 2005. I can't remember if that, if that was the one where he stayed at Cliff Richard's house. Because he likes staying at Cliff Richard's house. Because Cliff has got this house. And I think the prime, I think he's offered it to the Prime Minister on more than one occasion. And the Prime Minister has availed himself of the hospitality. So that's quite nice. I don't know. I don't really have much time for uh, for Tony Blair. He's another one. You know, the moment Margaret Thatcher quit, she went round the world and started making a fortune doing speeches and everything else. And Tony Blair's done exactly the same. He just keeps buying houses now because he's making sure that he's lined his pockets and making sure he's lined the pockets of the kids so they don't need to worry about things like that. Um, there's also another one here, a policeman who is suing his force for racially discrimination after claiming colleagues routinely describe Romani people as travellers. Now, I've had to explain this many times before. Speed enforcement officer Jim Davis, who's an English-born Romany, because there are different people, OK? Let's just explain this to you. There are travellers. They're the ones who spend a lot of time being pixelated on the television. My big fat gypsy wedding. They're not gypsies, OK? They're travellers. They're completely separate from the Romanies. OK, it's it's three separate groups. And then there's funfair people who are completely different as well. The the travellers are the ones who they portray pixelated, who go to prison a lot because they don't pay any tax and they move on to ground and they change it. These aren't Romanies. Romanies are somebody completely different. They've almost died out. 
You know, it's it's sort of it's it's an old you know it's it's just a bit old fashioned. It goes back. It's steeped in history. There was none of this. The it's it's the travellers who perpetuated the myth that all the weddings have to be full of these ghastly, cheap, tacky dresses, and all the girls have to look like uh, as if they're sort of renting by the hour. That that's not what Romanies do. That's not what gypsies do. That's completely different. So this guy is suing the force for officers describing Romany people as travellers, but they don't know. I mean, Jim Davis, I mean, come on, love. Come on. Try and be an adult, for God's sake. They're not as educated as you. You have to try and educate people and tell them. You don't go, I'm suing for discrimination. You educate them. You say, no, actually, that's not right. You do what Steve Allen just said. You know, the word traveller has been used by, you know, officers to describe a community. Although, strangely enough, most of these travellers don't actually travel. They're kind of set up and they don't even live in caravans. They live in sort of strange little prefabs that they put up. So there's no travelling anymore. The only travelling they do is to see whether they can sweep somebody's drive or pretend to tarmac it. You know, there's a lot of that going on. But, you know, to actually say we want, you know, it's discrimination against Romany, they don't know. They don't know the difference between Romany, Gypsy, Traveller. It's all completely different. I mean, what, what you've got here is a generic use of the word Traveller. It's got nothing to do with ethnicity. But then you have to explain that to people. You know, it just be, you know, but I don't think it warrants handing out compensation. I mean, who's, who's offended? You really can't be that offended. I mean, what kind of police officers have we got nowadays? I mean, it must be a right bunch of old wusses out there. If they can't cope with somebody doing a bit of, you know, somebody who isn't maybe as educated as they are or doesn't understand. You know, I mean, I don't understand everything about the Bangladeshi community. I don't know everything about the Pakistani community. I barely know enough about the English community. I know enough to know that the waves yesterday were so powerful down in Dawlish that it took out the railway line. It took out all the stuff underneath the railway line. The railway line is now suspended. Thousands of travellers might not be going anywhere for months. It's going to take that long. And when you look at the power of the waves and there's more to come, you suddenly realise there is a greater force than Bob Crow afoot. Morning, everybody. 20 minutes past four. It's Tube Strike again. It's Tube Strike Day, but you managed it yesterday, manage it today. Get up a bit earlier, leave a bit earlier, and it'll still take you ages to get in. But at least you've made the effort. At least you've made the effort, which is good. Somebody says, uh, will you be discussing uh, the Tube Strike next week? Well, it's finished by next week. Why would we be discussing it next week? Yeah, is it one next week as well? Oh, easy peasy, I'll tell you. Let's just go on permanent Tube Strike. Just close it down. So much easier. Uh, I'm 39 and never voted. I don't see the point either, says Kath. Uh, Johnny says, John Burko, such a lucky man. He's short enough not to see Sally Burko's face. Uh, I suppose I never thought about that. Steve, um, when they were saying on the front of the Express, the key to beating diabetes is yoghurt, he said, yoghurt is full of sugar. Why, why would that be the key to beating diabetes? They say low-fat dairy product is cutting the risk of developing it. A friend of mine's just gone up. He's gone up from... Type 2 diabetes to type 1. Now, I've never heard of that before. I didn't know that you could be elevated up through the peerage, as it were, and go from type 2 diabetes, which is what I am, to type 1. But my friend Mike is uh, a type 2, but he's, he's, a, he's a, what I call a, not a bad diabetic, but, I mean, his, his sugar readings are all over the place. I've never known anybody who has sugar readings like it. I mean, he goes up and down, and I can tell when he's not well because he goes very pale. And uh, the other day he said, he said, I'm, I'm type 1 now, type one, and uh, he's going to have a little machine fitted onto him. So it will inject the amount of insulin he needs 
automatically without having to worry about it. So it's, I believe this machine is something like £7,000 and he's having it fitted. And so what he will have, he will test his blood with this special pen, which is Bluetoothed to the machine. And the, um, the machine will then work out how much insulin he needs and put it straight into his body. And so I said, does that mean that you can't shower? And so he said, no, no, you just do things as normal. Just means you'll have this little thing next to you. Which reminds me very much of, <laughs> sounds awful, but when my mum was dying, they gave her morphine and it was on a little machine which was attached to her uh, and, every, and it was going into her hand and every so often it would go and it would push morphine into her which took away the pain. Effectively, I think it's the morphine that kills you because you just end up with so much morphine, but it takes away the pain of, of you know, and anything like that. So it's, it's fairly peaceful. But all I remember is this little machine making this noise. And I should imagine that Mike's machine will make roughly the same. However, that wasn't the, the story yesterday. The, the story yesterday, one of the... Um, um, I, I won't identify this, this person, but it highlighted to me yesterday just how, just how depressed somebody can be when a relationship finishes. And yesterday, one of the guys came in the office. He said, oh, have you seen so-and-so's Facebook today? And it's somebody that I used to work with uh, a few years ago. And uh, I said, no. He said, it's quite disturbing. I think he's going to take his own life. And we read it, and it was really disturbing. It was a case of he uh, obviously had this relationship. He, uh, He was madly in love with this girl. And then, for some reason, it had finished and he couldn't cope. And he wrote at 6.30 yesterday morning how that was it. It would all be over in a few minutes. And he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't want to live anymore. So you look at it and you think, now, is this genuine or is this a cry for help? Is this somebody genuinely who is feeling so depressed that they would go that extra mile and they would take their own life? Or is it hoping that the person in question... Uh, is looking at it thinking, I'd better phone to make sure that everything's all right. So we read it, we reread it, and then I went upstairs to talk to somebody else who also knew this person. He's, he's quite, quite well known to a lot of us. And, uh, and it turned out he'd done exactly the same thing on his Twitter account at 6.30 in the morning. So we read it again, and it just appeared to be he's in a very dark place. So people tried to contact him, they couldn't. He wasn't replying to his phone, he wasn't responding to anything, and people started getting panicky. So... Somebody phoned the police and said, listen, this is the situation. What do we do about it? He said, leave it with us. We'll, we'll investigate. And so they went into overdrive. In the meantime, I think it was his sister had gone online and said, listen, we've been round. He isn't, he's not in. We don't know where he is. We're very worried. And I spent the whole of yesterday thinking, oh, I hope to God. If I was saying to everybody upstairs who knew this same person, I said, I hope that he's not done anything silly. So I sent him a text saying, listen, everybody loves you. Not that I think that makes any difference, but it's, you know, it's the kind of thing you do. And so, um, and then we sat and waited. And I was telling a friend of mine, I was chatting to a friend of mine who's on a long course at the moment, and she was having a particularly bad day. So, of course, I added to it by telling her the story about this, this bloke who was in a very dark place. And she went, oh, I so hope, I so hope that, uh, that it's OK and they find him. I said, well, I hope so, too, because he was a, he was a very nice person. And then, literally, I put the phone down uh, to her, and then I got a, a text from... Another friend of mine saying, they've just found him. He's OK, but very distressed. And I thought, thank God for that. 
thank God for that. So there was a good ending to the day yesterday, but it only goes to prove that, you know, even though, and a friend of mine had only spoken to her the day before, and he seemed perfectly okay, even though somebody's perfectly okay, do you really know them? Do you really know what's, what's going on inside their head? No. So when you hear about people who get bullied at school, people who, you know, they're found hanging in the woods, and you think, oh, they must be really, really depressed. He wrote on one of his uh, Twitters yesterday, I'm frightened and scared about what I'm going to do. And you think, oh, don't be scared. Talk to somebody. But it's so difficult, isn't it? There was that poor lady on the roof of the car park the other day, and uh, she'd been up in court. It was a rape case, and the person was acquitted of rape, and she stood on the top of the car park. There were two trained police officers with her to talk her down, but in the end she decided that the uh, the pain and the memory and the outcome was too great for it, and so she leapt to her death. And you think then, you know, these people must have been treated for depression. You don't just do it normally. We've all had bad days. You know you have a bad day where you go, oh, do you know, I really, I've had enough today. You know, you've had bills in. I mean, I have a bad day if, if the tea bag arrives in the cup of tea. You know, that's my idea of a bad day, or if I'm having a fat day. You know, you have a fat day or a thin day. If I'm having a fat... I mean, I sat in front of the television this morning. I thought, I'm having a fat morning. And I was sort of sitting in front of the television. I was having a shave, and I was watching this Magaluf weekend kind of thing, and then, you know, mum and dad's turn up and all the rest of it. And I was thinking, do you know, I'm so glad I'm going to work this morning. I'm so glad. Because <laughs> television is far too depressing. The newspapers are far too depressing. There's no, there's no good... They don't put good news on, because they did bring out, years ago, a good news newspaper, but nobody bought it. Nobody was remotely interested in a good news newspaper. So that's why every morning at 4am, we like to have the spike. And the spike is that lots of you turn on, because you, you might be by yourself, you might be feeling a bit mizzy today, you might be thinking, oh God, it's another day of the tube strike, it's another day, it's going to take me hours to get into work. Three people yesterday in LBC, Michael, Chris and, um, and Rihanna, had to walk. She had to, did she tell you she had to walk yesterday? Because I, I practically had her replaced anyway, so she was coming in to do a recording for me with Barbara Taylor Bradford. And it got to like ten two, and I'm thinking, she should have been in by quarter past. And then I suddenly thought, oh no, it's tube strike day. And so she walked. Michael, James O'Brien's producer, walked from, I think, Tate Mo- uh, Tate, uh, the Tate down by MI5 and things like that. He walked from there. He actually got off, the, he pushed the emergency door button and got off the bus and walked. And then Chris Lowry got as far as Bank, and he walked from Bank. To be honest with you, I mean, I was quite... I just literally walked from here, got the 139 bus, got to Waterloo, got on a train and went home. You know, it didn't affect me in the slightest. Didn't affect... But I know lots of people got affected by it. But we came through it. We did it. We did it. Very strange, says Phil. Why haven't we heard from the TSSA union leader? I thought they were the ones in the ticket offices. Yeah, they are. Yes, they are. We've not heard a word from them, have you? Not a word. You know why? Because they're, they're probably the first ones in line for taking the redundancy. They're the first bit. Thousand people have said we'll take the voluntary redundancy. Kind of makes Bob Crow look a bit daft now, doesn't it, really? Kind of a strike for no reason. So your members have lost money. You've, you've happily trousered a bit, so you're all right. And the, uh, and the TSSA union have said nothing. Mind you, you can't get Labour to say anything either. Perhaps they don't understand it. Perhaps they're too busy lining their own pockets as well. But the good news is, ladies and gentlemen... Amy Charles is back in the country. Yes, arriving at the airport in her dark glasses. She she limped back home the other day in Gatwick. And uh, they say she wasn't a winner, but they say she uh, she certainly won at the airport arrivals fashion stakes. No, she didn't. She just looked like a failed old has-been who didn't win a programme. And, of course, there is only one winner in these programmes. And it was Joe McEldry. Amy Charles was a loser. You know, and I like to point that out. There's no point in trying to hail somebody who doesn't win something. You go, oh, they, they did really well. No, she didn't. She lost. She was a loser. 
I don't like to say that all the time to people, you know, because it's sometimes a bit unfortunate and she might get very depressed about it. But then I get quite depressed when I see Amy Charles coming back. The loser! So we'll take a short break. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC 97.3. I knew I shouldn't have had the cheese and pickle sandwich before we started this morning. I knew that was the mistake. I should have had pastrami. But no, I had the cheese and pickle. And it was particularly good. It was particularly... I have to be honest, I'm, I'm revelling in it at the moment. I'm revelling in it. It's 4.30. LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Certainly is 27 minutes to five. Noreen says, I've just looked at the latest listening figures. To my amateur eye, they're looking great for you. Yes, we are still the number one early breakfast show in London. I don't think there's any chance of anybody ever taking that mantle. You know, I mean, you know, how, how, how could Ichiku Park, you know, by the small faces, ever take over Steve Allen? It's just not physically possible. And that's why, because also people like to hear somebody chatting away at this time of the morning. And I know lots of, I've got lots of friends in the business. Well, I say friends, you know. Klingons, I call them. Anyway, so they're, they're all, you know, they sort of listen to the programme as they're coming in from Whitstable and, and around the country, wherever it happens to be. And uh, if you can put a smile on somebody's face only the once, I think you kind of achieve something. You know, you might not agree with every single thing you hear on the programme, but that doesn't really matter. Because otherwise it would be a, a comedic show and it would be, you know, they'd have to pay me a lot more money. But at the moment I'm, I'm, I'm in the cheaper end of the bracket and more than happy to be so. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Richard Bull has passed away. And uh, Paul in Manchester will know who Richard Bull is. Little Julie's told me this. He was in Little House on the Prairie and he played the shopkeeper Nels Olsen, the father of the dreadful Nellie Olsen and the mother as well. Nellie Olsen was ghastly. I mean, we used to watch Little Julie, Little House on the Prairie. Me and my friend Jimmy, every Sunday we would sit down. I would cook Sunday dinner and we'd sit and watch Little House on the Prairie on the floor, tray on, on your lap, and it'd be the first one to cry. The first one to cry. There's, there will always be a bit in Little House on the Prairie where, where you'd have to have a weep. It was always terribly sad. Because one of them, one of um, Michael Landon's girls went blind in it. Only pretend. But it was... Straight home, no talking to people on the bus. Uh, you know, because sometimes people talk to people on the bus. You know, I just advise people don't talk to people on the bus. You know, has anybody seen my whippet? You know, you get that kind of thing, don't you, first thing in the morning. So, very sad, very sad. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, uk. Oh, Steve thinks I've, I've got a custy job. Do you mean cushy, dear? Do you mean cushy? Is it because you're not, you're not really literate? A custy job. This is a custy job, apparently, whatever that is. <laughs> I quite like the idea of it being a custy job. Very funny. Uh, 84850... Um, I didn't uh, catch TV Gold yesterday with the Education Secretary Michael Gove being told off by John Burko for being disruptive during PMQs. Burko then suggested to Gove that he should write out a thousand times, I must not interrupt PMQs. I prescribed that he pick up the litter around Parliament. I think perhaps you should throw it back at John Burko. I should write out a thousand times, my wife is an idiot. My wife is an idiot. My wife is an attention-seeking old baggage. Uh, 84850... I did hear a TSSA union leader on Julia's show yesterday, says Kevin. He sounded worse than Bob Crow, calling Boris a liar with his figures. Oh, right. Well, but, I, but Boris said a thousand. He said a thousand people applied for redundancy. Why would he make it up? He said, I was stuck in traffic around Shoreditch and Hoxton. I don't know what they were all planning on parking when they got into central London. I hope it's better today. Maybe Bob Crow will pay me overtime for the two extra hours I had to do yesterday. Ha <laughs> Uh, Dee says, my carer lives in Kennington. She works in Kensington. Yesterday took her two and a half hours each way 
In between, she looked after the disabled and the old and the sick people for a tiny wage. I hope Bob Crow's proud of himself. Oh, he couldn't give a stuff about her. You don't think he cares about people like that? He couldn't care less about carers having to get... Why should he worry about that? Far more important things than like booking his next holiday. Not remotely interested. Why would he worry about... I mean, put it this way, I'm sure you could go to Bob Crow and go, listen, as a result of your tube strike, your ill-advised tube strike the other day, my nurse couldn't get to somebody in time and they died. Do you think he cares? Of course he doesn't care. Why should he care about that? Of course, if it was a member of the union, he might care a bit more. So then yesterday, I'm sitting on the train. I'm going home, had a very nice interview with Barbara Taylor Bradford. New book out, Cavendon Hall. Uh, which has done very number eight in the Sunday Times bestseller list already. So well done to her. She looks amazing. She looks absolutely amazing. And uh, so I'm going home on the train and this bloke gets on and he looks a bit like um, he's wandered out of a movie. He's only young, but he's got long sideburns and he's got a hat on and he's got, could have been an oboe or something else, but I don't know what he was carrying. It's obviously a musical instrument. And he looked a bit... um, like he'd, he'd wandered in from an Amish community or something like that. And he sits down and he's sitting opposite me and I'm sort of, I'm sort of staring out the window and thinking, that Barbara Taylor Bradford interview was really good. Goes out this weekend, incidentally. And we've got to record the links. Um, and so just remember that. So, and, and, so I'm sitting, and he gets out knitting. And he's knitting in front of me. And I'm trying not to be rude and look because I used to have a boss years ago called John who knitted. And... And I used to think that was fairly peculiar. Now, of course, I've realised that lots of people knit because my friend Paul said to me, maybe it was Kafe Fassett. Kafe Fassett used to have a television programme and he knitted. He knitted jumpers. My mother knitted. My brother and I had matching jumpers. Up until the age of 15, we had matching jumpers. We have hats and scarves. My mother knitted everything. Everything was knitted because that's what people did. But this bloke is knitting... And it's wool, but it's got a bit of bit of glitter through it. And he's sitting there knitting, and I'm I'm trying it. So of course I text, I, I I tweet that I'm sitting opposite this bloke who's knitting. What advice would you have? And somebody said, ask him whether he makes something for you. I did. I mean, I didn't like to sort of say anything, so I stared out the window. And occasionally, my I, my eyes would rove around the uh, the compartment only to see. And every time somebody walked past him, they also looked down and went, "He's knitting." He's knitting. It's a man knitting on the train. And he was only young. He was only, you know, he can't have been in his 30s. He can't have been in his 30s. It was just, it was just hilarious. I shouldn't, I shouldn't think it's funny. Why shouldn't men knit? There's no particular reason. But it just, it just, I don't know, it just made me laugh a little bit, I'm afraid. But uh, perhaps that was me just being a little bit rude. But the amount of comments that we actually got from people yesterday on my Twitter page was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Derek says it'll be good to hear you again in the uh, in the morning, and uh, and Vaughan says can't wait for Steve Allen's show to go national. We will so enjoy being able to listen to you in Dorset. Should shake up the locals a bit. Do you think they'll understand it? I don't know. Uh, it's very therapeutic, says Cass knitting. I know lots of uh, or a couple of excellent male knitters, and why not? <laughs> and uh, another one here. Um, so somebody there for, from Swansea Music. He's a bit overweight, that's all I'll tell you, judging by his picture. And he tweeted yesterday, he said, uh, At Steve Allen's show, I don't even know if he's legally allowed to say some of the stuff he comes up with, but the lawyers were asleep at that time of the day. No, no, we've never been sued in our lives, I don't know what you're talking about. It always makes me laugh when people say that. Oh, I don't know how you get away with that. Like what? Like what? This, this is England, hello, we're not in Stalinist Russia. Goodness sake, honestly. Another one says, uh, this is from, uh, somebody says, very risky, close to the knuckle. God, if you think this is close to the knuckle, you wait till we go national. 
Close to the knuckle. I think that's quite sweet, actually. Um, I've told everybody, says George, about LBC going nationally. And Neil says, why didn't you say? <laughs> and I got, what did I get yesterday? Oh, I was waiting for my other candles to arrive in. They haven't arrived in yet. I thought they were going to come in yesterday. Unless there's a box downstairs and I've, uh, I've missed it. Uh, oh, I loved Mr Olson. Yes. So he's, he's the one who's died. Uh, it took me three hours, 40 minutes to get from West Drayton to the Olympic Park, which normally takes one hour, 20 minutes. It's a bit of a journey, isn't it, I should imagine. But you'll do it. You'll do it. It's easy. It's easy. You know, we do a little bit of walking. We do, um, you know, we do all, all sorts of things. We do all sorts of things. We can manage to get to work. That's not difficult, is it? That's very, very easy. Uh, 848... Oh, I've lost my text messages now. Where have they gone? 84850, steve at Sorry, not my text messages, my emails. I seem to have lost them. They sort of vanished from the, uh, the screen. Let's have a quick look through the uh, papers to find out what they're, what they're telling us this morning, apart from Liz Hurley and uh, her fury. Now, I've done Liz Hurley. She's ever so... I, I liked her. I liked her, but she does get a knickers in a twist over nothing in particular. You know, so somebody says you had an affair with somebody, you just go, oh, I didn't. Don't be so silly. You know, why would there be fury? She went to a party where he was. She was obviously more than happy to have her picture taken with this old Lothario. So, uh, the end, end of story. End of story. I mean, if they did have a fling, who cares? If they didn't have a fling, who cares? Couldn't care less about either of it, I'm afraid. And uh, pop legend Robbie Williams... Yesterday, skipped a ceremony honouring him in his rain-lashed whole hometown, preferring to stay in Los Angeles. Oh, dear. The Take That star sent his dad. He was given the freedom of Stoke-on-Trent. Oh, dear God in heaven. That's like being given a bus pass, isn't it? To ride around Blackpool free for the rest of your life. The freedom of Stoke-on-Trent. He was honoured ahead of his 40th birthday, but uh, the Lord Mayor unveiled the plaque, and then, uh, then his father accepted it. Uh, pupils from Robbie's old school sang some of his hits and they've done a series of events in his honour and he can't even be bloody bothered to get off his fat bum and get over here. Isn't that a disgrace? I'd have cancelled it immediately, I'm afraid. Robbie says, I'm proud to come from Stoke-on-Trent. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud to be here that I can't really be bothered to actually turn up for it. What a lot of old rubbish. Dreadful, isn't it, really? Dreadful. Why bother giving somebody an award if they can't, they can't get out there? Terrible. Uh, Howard says, congratulations to LBC, the figures of the, uh, the listeners. Imagine the next quarter with Blackpool included. I know. I'm already starting rehearsing for the Blackpool segment of the show. Hello? I thought we'd do it like that, you know. It's the biggest aspidistra in the world. You don't know who that is, do you? Don't you ever hear of Gracie Fields? Never hear, oh, you're not sure if you heard of Gracie Fields. Gracie Fields, she had a big hit. Sally, Sally, pride of our alley. Yeah, more. She was like sort of working class hero. She had a few films. Wish me luck as you wave me goodbye. Here I go. Oh, you heard that one. But you never heard it. So when I did, you know, Sally, you weren't sure about the other ones, were you? No. Oh. It's a trouble you work with children, isn't it, really? They've got no idea who half these people are. But no, she was famous, and I think she was a, she was a Blackpool person. She made these little war films. Which actually I was going to get, because I thought they were quite good. They all followed a theme. But my favourite memory, she, she died on the Isle of Capri, which is where she moved to. And she loved it over there. But she was, she was ours, as they say. But I remember watching a Royal Variety performance, and it was for the Queen Mother. And the star guest was, uh, was her. They, uh, they brought her back from the Isle of Capri. She was quite old. She was about 90. But she still, Gracie Fields stood on that stage and went, Sally... Sally, 
and she could still she could still do it. It was lovely. It was really lovely. It was, oh, oh, popsikins! Look at you, honestly. You look like Nanooka the North, don't you? <laughs> Did you walk? The weight's not come off though, has it? No, I know. Same for me. I put it on. I put. <laughs> You've had nipple rings done. <laughs> look at him, honestly. Look at you being all fit and chirpy. You're not on for another hour and a quarter. A lot of time. You could do a jigsaw. <laughs> Bless his heart, honestly. Only talking about you a minute ago. Very chirpy little thing, weren't we? The good old chat yesterday. Good old natter. I like wandering into other people's studios around here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who has the funniest showbiz story? Wasn't me. Uh, <laughs> we had a good old chat yesterday. There's two days running we've had a good old chat, isn't it? And then this morning you've come in here now. There's no free tea or biscuits or nothing. I could do you an orange if that's any help. No, I don't want it. No, seriously. <laughs> it's not nice, is it? Two cups of tea or two sugars. Awesome. Go, go away. I can't concentrate. You're distracting me now. I've lost my train of thought. I was going to talk about Torval and Dean, but then I suddenly realised, no, give them a time check. Quarter to five. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Uh, just talking to a fellow presenter about the joys and the perils of getting older. You know, the things that you do when you get a bit older. He said, <laughs> making, because you're from Lancashire, from Lancashire. And she said, he was telling me, there's, there's other presenter. He was saying about how uh, Gracie Fields used to do the show in the, in the Grand. And then she, uh, wish me luck as you wave me goodbye. And they'd all go clapping at the end. Then she'd come out on the front steps and do another 40 minutes. A bit like going to a Ken Dodd show where you, you can't get out, ladies and gentlemen. But they're the people who, who made show... I don't know why we talk about show business, but they're the people who made show business in this country. They are the people who, if you go and get your DVDs, if you're over the age of 45, 50, you remember these people. You can remember turning on and seeing Little and Large on the television. You remember seeing Crackerjack. Crackerjack. You remember seeing all these programmes with Peter Glaze and Leslie Crowther and, you know, and, and the old game shows. And then you look at the television that we've got nowadays, and the best they're offering is Amy Childs arrives back at Gatwick Airport. And that's supposed to get us in a state of euphoria. My heart dropped a bit. I'm not sure whether I'm going to upset you, make you cry, or weep with laughter. Torville and Dean are retiring. Apparently they will perform... They will perform their last bolero and then split up. It will feel like death. It'll be a blessed relief for many of us. <laughs> it's very good. And I, I'm not knocking it because I thought it was absolutely of its period. But now we know they were having a thing together. It, uh, it kind of takes on a whole new edge as far as I'm concerned. Now, don't get me wrong. I like Torval and Dean. I'm a big fan. I'm the first one to wave the flag for this country. In fact, with two hands, I could wave two flags. I'm that patriotic, and it's very good, but they've, uh, they've decided... They've never had a falling out, they've said. Well, sort of not, not a real one. I mean, I've never had a falling out with the producer. We've, you know, in all the minutes that we've worked together, we've never actually had, a, had what I call a falling out. He just accepts what I do. You know, once you've accepted that and accepted the fact that, that what we do kind of works, then why would you worry about things? I never understand people, you know, especially presenters... I'm sorry to bring it back to presenters, but it's the only thing I know I can talk about with any sort of sense of authority. I never understand presenters who fall out with their producers. I don't quite understand that because you're stuck, you know, because you're working on such a one-to-one, -one, but it's like a relationship. 
Well, he thinks it is. And um, yeah, it's constantly waving, stalking me. Sometimes I get home and I'm going to open the front door. One morning he's going to be standing going, hello. <laughs> it's like, I'm back. Like, yeah, <laughs> scary. Shut the door. <laughs> so, but it is, it's, you know, you, you get people you think, oh, God, yeah, they go, I can't stand my, my producer. Or they're rude to them. Or they don't buy them a present for Christmas or, you know, for birthday or something like that. That I can't understand at all. I really can't get my head around that. I mean, that, that to me is just, it's absolutely sh- I mean, I know people who do pantomime and they buy, you know, if they're the star of the pantomime, they buy everybody in the cast a present because that's what you do. It's at Christmas time. That's why your family buy, well, some families buy you presents. You know, your brother and sisters buy you presents. The kids, you know, you buy the kids presents. That's what happens. And if you work with somebody and you spend a lot of time with them and you still can't stand them, then you, you buy them a present. It's a, it's a way of saying... You know, I've earned some money this year. You've helped make it a lot easier. You know, if I say to him now, can you get something out on Torval and Dean, how many times they performed Bolero, within a minute and a half the next day, he's, uh, he's, he's generally found something. And that's, you know, and people help you out. It's a helping out kind of business. It's a helping out kind of business. So when Torval and Dean announce that they're going to retire, I don't think they'll know what to do. Although, strange enough, they were almost in semi-retirement before... And then they brought back the Dancing on Ice programme, and that kind of gave them the new lease of life. So when they don't do it anymore... And it's only because they're getting on a bit now. I should imagine their bones must be creaking a little bit. I mean, you know, this is 30 years they've been at the top of their their game. 30 years. I mean, that's quite something. I mean, I wish I could ice skate. I wish I could do something. I don't have... I wish I could juggle. Clive, you know, does the uh, the breakfast show with Nick Ferrari and uh, and then with James Ryan. He he can juggle, and you think she's like, I wish I could juggle. I can't juggle. I wish I could paint. I can't paint. I wish I could draw. I can't draw. I wish I could play a musical instrument. Can't. I'd love to be able to play the piano. I'd love to be able to walk into a place. They've got a piano. You go, hey, let me bang something out on your old Joanna. You know, that's the kind of thing you'd want to do, isn't it? But I can't do anything like that. And ice skating, I always thought I'd love to do it. I'd love to do ice skating. It would just be so much fun and you could do it and then skate backwards and all that kind of thing. But I can't. I can't even do walking very well. When I think about it, it's actually a bit of a... I can't sing either. Well, I mean, I get through. I get through with singing. I'm actually a little bit better than I think I am. Uh, Phil says Gracie Fields were born in Rochdale. Well, it's Lancashire, isn't it? We're only we're sort of... You know, we're doing a generalisation. I think you'll find she appeared at the Grand in Blackpool many, many times. I've got a video of Gracie Fields' performance, and she stops singing and says, I've been singing a man's song all my life. And everybody bursts into laughter. Yes, she was, uh, she was just, she was of her generation. She was of her generation, ladies and gentlemen. I did like the idea that old Davy Boy Beckham turned up the other day wearing a very smart suit, answering questions, and you suddenly realise that when he speaks, he's still a bit geeky, isn't he? He's not, he's not the butch footballer, but he looks mean and moody, but then he's got that little high-pitched girly voice that comes out at the same time. Rod Little, 83 states are worse on gays than the Russians. And uh, you can read more on that. Oh, look, Kelly Brook in a bikini. What a surprise. What a surprise. Uh, another one here. Oh, Romanians uh, set up uh, home in a B&Q car park. Offering to put up flat packs for DIY novices for 40 quid. There's a 50-strong group spending hours daily going car to car touting services. This is on the Old Kent Road. Oh, dear. One lady says good luck to them. Somebody else says they're very intimidating. They are very intimidating. But, I mean, some people can't put together flat pack furniture, can they? I'm not one of them. I love flat pack furniture. Especially if you've got two to put up. You know that you're going to make uh, a mistake on the first one, but then you've learnt... So by the time you get to the second one, you're racing through it. I love a bit of flat pack furniture. It's the kind of thing that keeps me going. I did two wardrobes and started looking around to see if I could do anybody else's wardrobes. I was so pleased with myself by the time I got to the second one. 
Because the first one, I thought, I'll glue them in. I thought, no, don't glue them in yet. Because I suddenly realised that put, putting the shelves in when you hadn't actually put the rest of the thing together was ridiculous. And the little bar that they give you that goes across the top to hang your, your nighty on and stuff like that, that wasn't really strong enough to hold the amount of clothes which I've got. You know, and so I had to go and get a metal bar uh, to put in there because it was plastic and it was just ridiculous. They always put something cheap in there, don't they? Uh, 84850. My old nan used to spit feathers whenever somebody mentioned Gracie Field. She said during the war she married one of the enemy and moved to Italy. Yes. But it doesn't matter, does it? Loads of people did. Go, Mommy, I'll tell you. You ask your old... Well, you can't ask your old nan now because she's, uh, she's R.I.P. But I bet you anything, she had a fling with a few old American soldiers and got some free nylons. Everybody did. Everybody did. It's the way it, uh, the way it went, I'm afraid. Uh, 84850, uk. We shall absolutely read everything out on the programme. Because that's the sort of people we are. Because we're good. We're very good. You know, we're, sort of, we're nice people. We're nice people. Uh, 84850. I'm miserable at times, said Angela, but love life too much. Yeah, everybody get... Listen, it's not physically possible for somebody to be happy all the time. It's not... I mean, it's just not physically possible. You can be reasonably happy. If you don't have to go around with a big grin... I'm sure if somebody sort of pictured me on the train, you could find loads of pictures of me sitting there just looking quite ordinary. Yeah, because I am quite ordinary looking. I'm not, you know, any great beauty or anything like that. And so somebody said, oh, look, he looks really miserable today. And you go, well, I'm not going to walk around with a big grin on my face. We sit, because otherwise people think you're mad as a broom. So there's, no, you know, the producer, I mean, he's mad as a broom. And he sits there sometimes sort of smiling. About, you've got no idea why he's smiling or care, to be honest with you. But uh, that was it. You know, somebody says, so miserable at times, but love life too much. Life is tricky in bad, and also very sad in those circumstances where life is taken prematurely. Seize the day, says Angela. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's, you know, it's the sort of thing we've all got to get through. Everybody has a bad phase in their life where either you haven't got enough money, where the job's falling apart, the car's got more problems with it you can shake a stick at, the girlfriend's left, the boyfriend's left, the kids are playing up, the dog's pooed all over the place, the central heating boiler is broken, you've got no hot water, you've got freezing cold shirt. There's always something. There's always something. You know, you go to put your hand in your pocket. Oh, God, I don't bring any money out with me. Where's my... Oh, I didn't even bring a travel card. I've got to walk. There's always something. Oh, there's a tube strike. But at least we can get over it. At least you can actually get out there and you can and you can sort of make a difference. You make any day what it is. I used to work in retail long, 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 long time ago. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I used to fight for customers. You know, if a customer came in the department, other people would hang back. Not me. I was there. Hello. <laughs> what were you looking at? Oh, we're, we're just browsing. What sort of thing were you browsing for? I could sell anything, me. I used to love selling. Not now. I mean, I'm a much shyer, more retiring sort of person. But in those days, I loved retail. I thought it was great fun. I used to sell carpets. I used to go home covered with carpet fluff. Absolutely covered in carpet fluff. You'd sit, I used to love it, sitting on the bus. We didn't have any money. Earned £5.19 and six a week, just under six quid for a 40-plus hour week. And I thought I was doing really well. First job since leaving school. Couldn't wait to get out. Hated school. Hated it. Although now I'm advised by people, they say, no, don't, don't ever knock school. Tell them they need to stay on at school, you know, because you've got to get these qualifications. I say, well, I haven't got any qualifications. Why do you need to stay on at school? What's the point of staying on at school to get qualifications? As long as you can convince somebody that you're good. You look at all these market traders. You don't think they sat there doing A-levels and O-levels, do you? They couldn't wait to get out there and flog stuff. Now you've got to look at half the presenters on the bid channel. They don't look as though they've got a qualification between them. I'm sure a few of them might have something, but to be brutally frank with you, it's the it's the hard knock school of life, isn't it? It's exactly what you know. Life is exactly what you make it. 
It's as simple as that. Uh, little House on the Prairie says Paul in Manchester, but a good little show. Richard was 89. He was the dock in Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Gracie Fields from Rochdale, born over a chippy. Real name, Stansfield. And Lisa, who hails from there, is, I believe, a distant relation. Your impersonation was quite good, though. More George Formby and Thora. She was also, at one stage, the highest-paid film star in the world. He says, re-knitting, all our classes were taught. We made squares to sew together to make blankets, which was sent to uh, Biafra. Really? I can't knit at all. My mother knitted. I can't. I'm rubbish at things like that. Anyway, look at the time. We've got to take a quick break. It's Tube Strike Day again, but you had the rehearsal yesterday, so today you should have perfected it. You should by now be up and ready and leaving a bit early. You know, it does make a difference. I know it's not easy, but there are some, uh, some tubes running and the buses are running and the taxis. Apparently the taxis were circling like sharks yesterday. Lots of illegal minicab. You need a minicab? You need a minicab? Lots of illegals. Don't get in anything that touts for business, OK? Unless it's black. If it's black, it's OK for touting. But uh, anything else, it's totally illegal. OK? Take a short break for the news at five. I will remind you, this is the most listened to early breakfast show in London. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. The station is LBC, and you're very welcome. We've got the news with Rupert Bartia up next. LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Tube strike. Second day. But as I said a moment ago, you rehearsed it yesterday. Now you know what you're doing today. You'll do it faster. You'll walk faster. You'll jog a little bit quicker. Your queues a mile long for the buses. And, you know, sometimes it, it pays to walk a little bit. I'm not the best advert for walking and stuff like that. But the people I spoke to at LBC yesterday, some two and a half hours it took them to get in. It must drive them mad. I mean, I'm quite grateful that I don't need to use a tube train to go home. I can use one, but I can only go as far as Richmond. So uh, I'm quite grateful. But many of you actually rely on it, and I suppose that's a problem. But you did it yesterday. You can do it again today. We'll have the travel service. Andy McCall, in about 10 minutes' time, will bring you up to speed with what's, what's operating, what's not operating, and exactly how we can save you time. Save you time. Oh, Sarah Harding was at the InStyle pre-BAFTA party. What for? Somebody explain to me. I mean, I don't understand. When they have a guest list for parties, you sometimes look at the people they've invited and you think... I mean, she's 32. I mean, 32. And uh, and they say she was um, wet she, sort of wearing some sort of... Out- but what does she do? The answer is she doesn't actually have a job. She sort of tells people she's sort of doing this or doing that, but actually doesn't do anything at all. It's been, I mean, I suppose, actually, and, and actually just turns up to award parties now and uh, gets pictured with... Uh, with all sorts of strange people. But that's her, I expect her walls are probably full of pictures of her with famous people. I mean, they've got Leah, Leah Weller here. Do you know who Leah Weller is? I don't know who she was at all. Apparently this is the latest one who's going to be on the party circuit. This is the, the daughter of Paul Weller. And um, this looks OK. Just looks like anybody else, I'm afraid. But uh, it's Sarah Harding, you know, out there. You feel like saying, you know, when, when somebody's taking a picture... Sorry, love, what do you do? You know, you've got a perfume range and uh, you're going to bring an album out. Well, who's going to buy that? Having seen the piece in the paper yesterday that poor old Kean Egan said he doesn't really care if nobody buys his album, I thought, well, you're not going to be disappointed then, are you? Because we couldn't actually think of anybody who was actually going to buy Kean Egan's album, seeing as he was never known as being the singer in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the band. James says, don't ever take up ice skating. The school tried to teach me. I was so skinny and weedy, I couldn't keep my legs straight. I looked like a duck crawling across the ice. Well, I just think, I mean, it can't be that difficult. 
Shane says, David Beckham looks like a god. Sounds like a gerbil. Yes, I mean, it's so funny. Whenever you see David, that's why all the pictures of him, it's so posy-posy. You know, you never see in any of his pictures of him advertising a watch or his pants or anything like that, which apparently he's deeply embarrassed. Yeah, deeply embarrassed when he goes to the bank and sees how much they pay him for this pile of old rubbish. You know, if you'd wanted somebody with a load of old tattoos on, go to a tattoo parlour, you get somebody much cheaper. It's only David Beckham for God's sake. It's not like he's, you know, he's sort of teaching how to play football. He's just wearing pants. I just don't quite see the excitement. I mean, I really don't quite see the excitement. And uh, so it's it's true. It's true. You never see him smiling in any of the photo thing. When you do see him smiling, he looks a bit looks a bit simple. Now we now we know he plays with Lego. He's he's kind of gone down a bit. Uh, Malcolm says, speaking of knitting, I remember my sister doing bobbin work, which was a bobbin with four panel pins knocked into it, which the wool was wound around and pulled through the hole. Yes, yes, I remember that very very one. Uh, Prince Charles. Floods a jolly good disaster. It's an old gag, isn't it? It's well worth doing. Uh, 84850. Uh, Russians are being taught a good lesson. They thought they'd be granted fame and fortune and says they're exposed worldwide as homophobes. Well, you don't want to go and live in Russia. Oh, you don't want to go live in Russia. There's no advantage living in Russia at all. Well, unless you're into corruption. There's a whole load of corruption over there. And then what they do is they take all their money out of the country and come over here. And we go, ooh, come into our country. It's like America. Anybody's got a load of money, they welcome them. They welcome them. Uh, 84850. Uh, Rob says, uh, the new digital radio on the 11th, will it make any difference to your freedom of speech? Well, no, you've said it exactly there. Freedom of speech. Of course, it's exactly the same. He says, I started listening to LBC because you say what you think, not what you're told like the BBC. Oh, the BBC's drips. Uh, People with no opinions at all. How sad and pathetic, isn't it? I mean, you don't want anybody like that, for goodness sake. That's just called, you know, it's just like you might as well just be a little monotone, little click in the corner, and somebody says, can you just say this? I think the strike is bad for the capital. You know, I mean, that's just dreary. Everybody's got an opinion on it, and that's, uh, that's why. That's where LBC comes into its own. It's proper people. It's proper people. You know, not people who are sort of just working to a script, I'm afraid. Uh, another one here, and uh, Little House on the Prairie. Was it a real story? As it was from the diaries of the oldest son, the girl who went blind was a school teacher. How very forward. Yes, she, well, she went blind during the series, didn't she? And I believe it was taken from the diaries of Laura Ingalls. Laura Ingalls somebody. And, um, and so it, it was taken from a, a real chapter. I loved it. The place that they lived, I don't know how I remember it because it was so long ago, was Walnut Grove. And the only reason we remember this is because it was a little community and people just seemed to... They went to church, they were God-fearing people, but every week there would be a disaster. Every week something would happen and Charles Ingalls would turn it around with his wife and their three children or two children. Might have been three three children, I think. I just thought it was a great programme. I might even have to buy it on DVD today. I might treat... That might be my, my pre-DAB national present. I was thinking about what I could buy myself. I like to buy... Presence. Barbara Taylor Bradford yesterday, who's going to be this weekend on In Conversation, together with Reese Shearsmith. Sorry, Reese. Um, both very, very good interviews, but Barbara, really, really lovely. Re- loved me to pieces, but there again, we don't have anybody walking out the studio who doesn't love me. Well, there was one once, actually. I, but there were two. I had two on one day. Two actors who you haven't heard of, and I hadn't heard of either, and one of them my research had obviously gone completely up the wall because I remember saying to him, oh, so your farmers, your, your, your parents have got a farm. And he said, no, they haven't got that anymore. I said, oh, yeah, but, but you came from a very solid, my parents are divorced. And it, it just went from bad to worse. You know, you know, when all of a sudden you think, I'm talking to the wrong person. I'm definitely having a conversation with the wrong person here. And so you des- I did remember years and years ago, many, many years ago, when I was very inexperienced, and I used to work to questions. 
I sat down and I seriously thought that to do a, a good interview, you write questions down and you stoically follow them. So first of all, you say, so tell me about this latest production. When, and then you ask something else. And I suddenly realised, and it, it takes ages to get into that habit, it's a conversation. You're listening to somebody and they'll say something and mentally in the back of my mind, I store it. And then, I mean, yesterday we were talking about Barbara Taylor Bradford's husband. They've been married for 50 years, but I heard the story of how they met and how every time she brought out a book, he bought her another piece of jewellery. And then a short while ago, she sold all the jewellery to give to a couple of relatives. And I think it went for over £2 million. And she's that sort of person. She's got some lovely jewellery. I was quite tempted to look at I was looking at it going, I said, you've got some nice jewellery there. <laughs> you know, really nice. And she was lovely. She was going on a train later. But as she went out the building, Courtney said, did you enjoy that? She said, what a nice young man. You see, I'm a young man now. Well, nice young man <laughs> compared to anybody else, I suppose. Uh, 84850. Sandra says roller skating would be easy. I can roller skate. I don't have any problem roller skating. I mean, I'm not brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But I don't fall over. I, I can do roller skating because I used to do that when I was uh, a child. Just can't do the other thing. Uh, 84850. Mark says, do you reckon knitting could be good for stopping smoking cigarettes? No. No. Patches. Patches are the best thing. Patches work for me. Patches were brilliant. But then I became addicted to the patches. Then I became addicted to the patches and cigarettes. So you've got double hit, I'm afraid. So you have to be uh, be very careful. You've got to want to stop smoking. I've always said to people, they say, "What, what can make you stop smoking? I said, you. You're the only one. If you want to stop smoking, you've got to want to stop smoking. It's no good thinking there is some quick fix. A bit of, you know, some people work on acupuncture. Some people work on hypnosis. Some people work on the patches. Some people do it just sheerly will, sheer, sheer willpower. I did it on patches and the fact that I thought, no, I'm definitely going to stop. Because I stopped for two years and then I went back on them again. I had one one night. I was out drinking with some friends and somebody had a cigarette. <laughs> Happy days you were when you could smoke in a bar. And they said, do you want a cigarette? And I said, I'll just have one because I haven't smoked for two years. And I just, I just had, and I enjoyed that cigarette so much that the moment I'd finished it, I went out and bought a packet of cigarettes. I drove around trying to find a garage that was open to buy some cigarettes and I smoked the whole packet. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I remember pinching cigarettes from my parents when I was a child, when I was 14, 15. We used to have embassy in a cigarette box. And I remember pinching them and smoking them, you know, when you didn't actually smoke cigarettes properly. I could, I could, I could smell them this, to this day. I could smell them to this day. Very strange, isn't it? I wish I'd never started smoking, but you can't, can't go back, I'm afraid. What was the competition that Joe McEldry beat Amy Whatnot at? Uh, it was called Jump. And Amy just didn't even feature in it. She was just a waste of space, I'm afraid. There was nothing, nothing going on there at all. Um, if there's Bob the Builder, there's also the union rep, Bob the Reaper. Yes, that'd be quite funny, wouldn't it, with Bob the Builder, if they actually had somebody there as well, who was the uh, who was the person who was going to sort of uh, do things like that. Uh, 84850, Glenn says, you've been telling the truth about people in their lives on LBC since you were approximately two years old. Some days more so than others, depending on your sugar intake. Well, today it was the cheese and pickle sandwich, I think, which, uh, which kind of saw me through. Uh, it was Mary Ingalls who went blind in Little House. And, uh, and there's a picture... Which, uh, which he sent me. Uh, his co-star was Kathleen McGregor. Yes, based on the stories by Laura Ingalls Wilder. I can remember when Michael Landon died because he did a programme where he played an angel. Was it Stairway to Heaven? Was it Stairway to Heaven? Yeah, Laura Ingalls. Sorry, that was uh, Nils Olsen and his wife as well. Such a great programme. Such a good little programme. But I remember when Michael Landon died. He died of cancer and he was quite young and he left a lot of money. 
and he gave his children something like a million dollars each, and they contested the will. It's always stuck in my mind that I said, wherever there's money and there's greedy children, you're going to get a contest. He left 10 million, I think, to his wife, because I think he owned the, the company that made Little House on the Prairie or Stairway to Heaven or whatever it's called. And, uh, and the kids contested the will. I can't remember what, what the outcome was, but I just remember thinking, how awful to do that. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Poor old Rosalind, you are an old so-and-so, aren't you? You're so ancient. I know, actually, that you're a man who's going through a, a change at the moment. Uh, and we didn't, actually, on either occasion... On either occasion, we didn't. And, uh, but it's so lovely that you're such a regular listener. I know you're so obsessed. And uh, uh, from Cambridge, apparently, the producer's very worried now. I said, well, they do get a bit more stupid the further you go out. And Cambridge kind of is where the stupidity mark is at its highest. And uh, poor us. So she listens every day. She can't help it. She's there. But as I say, it's, it's really somebody called Brian. It's uh, quarter past five. <laughs> Morning, everybody. 5.20 is the time. Tube strike day two, but you've had the rehearsal. Today, you should be perfect. So everything with Nick Ferrari and all the programmes on LBC today that will actually help you get through. Plus, as the UK faces weeks of more weather misery, and the pictures in the papers today are staggering. There's one where there's a church and the waves are literally crashing over it. Unbelievable. Nick will be finding out how you're coping. Well, Prince Charles said yesterday he was going to donate, what was it, £50,000, I think. I think that's a small amount of money. It's a drop in the ocean for literary counties that are underwater. Where it's going to drain to, God alone knows. Even yesterday, I came back, and if you're on the A316, heading uh, either out or in to Twickenham or via Richmond, you'll see that the playing fields are flooded completely. It's almost like the river has extended itself halfway up the playing field. The River of Thames is at the highest that it has been for ages, and it's, it's all the water that's come down from up north, and it's taken it up really high. Most of the islands in the Thames by Richmond are underwater at the moment. Uh, Nick will be asking whether or not a child should be expelled for having mini cheddars in their lunchbox. I mean, it's not the most healthy thing you can eat, but everybody loves mini... They're children. I know we try and educate children and try and get them to eat better things, and having a little lunchbox is good, but it always contained a blue ribboned chocolate biscuit or a digestive... And uh, some mini cheddars, an apple or an orange or a banana and some peanut butter sandwiches. And that's what the lunchbox contained. Rachel Jane, deputy editor of the Sunday Express, will be looking at the papers with Nick Ferrari today. If you've just woken up, it's nice to have you company. I trust you are well. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co. Highway to Heaven was the Michael Landon programme. Thank you, David. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you for... Everybody else. Uh, how about an episode, says Rupert, of Bob the Builder that features a visit from the health and safety boys? Yes, that'd be good. <laughs> Ian in Thornton Heath. Stop smoking. 30th of September 13. No patches, no fake cigarettes, chewing gum or anything else. Just wanted to. Don't need to buy the box set, apparently. Little House on the Prairie is on uh, True Entertainment Channel 61. No, I like to own the box sets. I, I like... The box sets. I d- I'm not one of these people who could record things. John Warrington used to record um, for me. And I, then I sort of kind of sort of gave up after that time. And then I decided that it was easier to go and buy the box set. But I did. But I absolutely did. Uh, 84850, uk. Uh, another one here. Try and weave everything in. Try and weave everything in on the programme this morning. Um, Andy McTravel, he's keeping uh, London moving today. Apparently, did you know 
that Little House on the Prairie, Michael Landon's son, played Sully in the series Dr Quinn Medicine Woman. I, don't, I never really watched Dr Quinn Medicine Woman. I've interviewed Jane Seymour, as you know, but I've, I never really watched the, the programme. Only because I didn't quite understand what it was all about. I understand that she was, you know, that she was, in fact, a medicine woman. And that's about as far as I got, I'm afraid. Uh, Michael says, my girlfriend has the complete series of Highway to Heaven on DVD. And I watch it occasionally. It's still enjoyable. Yes, he, he was, was he a, a, an angel that came down from heaven to grant people's wishes? Perhaps we could have introduced him to Bob Crow. Uh, it was Highway to Heaven. I've sadly got the theme tune, said Michael which was quite nice. It always ended with him walking down the road, hitching on to his next adventure. More news on the cherry juice, please. It arrived yesterday. Brother does not get it till Saturday. He has to wait till Saturday. He's quite excited to get it. I don't think it's going to be some instant cure, this, uh, this cherry concentrate, which you mix with water, but I think it might ease gout. That's what I've got it for. Not way a ton, actually. Uh, uh, Sonia says, I used to be a member of TSSA, I reluctantly belong to it. We used to say it stood for too scared to say anything. <laughs> always, I wonder what RMT could stand for, ladies and gentlemen, this morning. Got any ideas on that one? Uh, there is a common mistaken perception that Lisa Stansfield is related to the late Gracie Fields, whose real name was Grace Stansfield and hailed from Rochdale. However, Stansfield does own a recording studio called Gracie Lands, which adds to the confusion, says Frank. I thought she was. I, thought, I didn't think it was, uh, it was one of those... Um, Myths that went around. Richard Bull, uh, best known as the long-suffering husband of Harriet, that's the man who died, 89. They seem to go for ages in America, don't they? Which is fantastic. Lovely picture in uh, the mirror today of a polar bear with her three cubs emerging, emerging for the first time in Manitoba in Canada. Now, of course, it's quite rare for a polar bear to have three cubs which survive. Normally... Uh, two will, one will fall by the wayside and will die, and uh, the other one will just give up as well. They generally end up with one. It's very, very unusual to see a, a mother with three, but they do look particularly goofy in these pictures. Uh, more on the story which is dominating the front pages. Uh, Liz Hurley denying these ludicrous claims of a fling with Bill Clinton. Me and Billy, don't be silly. I did not have sexual relations with that president. Uh, they were at a uh, a party, and loads of people went. I'm not sure if this was the one that Marty McCutcheon went to, but loads of people went. And I think, was it Marty McCutcheon or was it somebody else? Was it? I'm trying to think. I'm sure it was a, it was a singer. I'm pretty. Was it Michael Ball? It might have been Michael Ball. Anyway, uh, the actor making the allegations against Liz, against Liz has a, a troubled and colourful past. His name is Tom Sizemore. He's used drugs since he was 15, even went on the reality show Celebrity Rehab in an effort to get clean. Uh, then last month, a video emerged of him smoking a suspicious-looking pipe. He's obviously written a, a book. He appeared in Save it, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, he fell for Liz on the set of the film Passenger 57. He claims in his autobiography that they had a three-year affair. So, I don't know. He says uh, her then-boyfriend was some out-of-work British actor. Very successful British actor, as it turns out. But uh, she's, had, she's had quite a, a lot of flings. You know, there was Hugh Grant, Steve Bing, Arum Nea, Shane Warne. You know, quite a few. Mind you, Bill, Bill Clinton's had a few little people. Hillary, Monica Lewinsky, Jennifer Flowers. I did not have relations with that woman. Funny, isn't it? But I suppose it's that powerful thing, isn't it? 
It's that, you know, what is it that attracts women to powerful men? And the answer is, nobody knows, but they just are. Even old Robert Maxwell, and God knows he was no looker, was he? Dear me. I mean, he, even he was able to have affairs and do all sorts of things. People just went, oh, that's him. He's very powerful. I remember seeing him on the television once, so he was showing us what a million pounds looks like. I remember being quite fascinated by the fact, because I didn't know what a million pounds looked like. And I think they were doing it when they were doing lottery in the papers, before we had uh, all sorts of other people doing bingo and everything else. There is a story in one of the papers today, apart from in, uh, in Port Leven, where the waves are smashing over the church. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable photograph. And the sea, which has wiped out the rail line, all the rubble that was holding it up underneath has just vanished, washed away, washed away completely. And you, you start thinking to yourself, my God, the forces of nature, they operate and we have no control over it whatsoever. Uh, Whitehaven is the fattest town in England. It's the place with the most overweight people. Well, I would have thought most places have got a lot of overweight people. Perhaps there aren't many people who live there. And so now you've got, you've got sort of a case of they'll go, this is the fattest place in the country. And, oh, good Lord, somebody else is running that story. Front page of the Express, as you know, yoghurt can halt diabetes. This is not for people who've got diabetes. This is to stop you getting diabetes. I used to love a yoghurt. I still like a yoghurt now. I had two cherry yoghurts yesterday. Activia. Special thick yoghurt. I quite like that one. We used to have ski, but I'm not sure if you can get ski yoghurts now. But they say eating yoghurt every other day cuts the risk of diabetes by more than a quarter. It's a Cambridge University team who've uh, compared the diets of 753 people. I mean, that seems quite a good idea, doesn't it? But you've got to check. It's obviously got to be low-fat yoghurt. There is, there is no point. Oh, my God, Father, who is this ugly? Dear me. Michelle Chapman, 24. She is ugly. I don't want to be rude about it. You know what she is? She's a troll. She's an internet troll. My God, she's ugly. She looks like those the, um, the Chaucer family who turned up on the television, all the fatties who turned up on the She's even more gross than that. But what this woman did, she's been jailed, incidentally, for trolling. And uh, what she's done is she set up a face, a fake Facebook profile for her dad, stepmom and other relatives and used them to send abusive messages to her own account. So it made it look as though the family were trolling her. But in fact, I mean, she is ugly. I mean, this woman is gross. And so then what she did, she reported the comments from the accounts she'd set up to the police. Unfortunately, because she's so stupid and ugly... The police just trace it back, and you can see she set up the accounts. So they've sent her to prison. 20 months they've sent her to prison for. Nearly two years. Let that be a lesson, ladies and gentlemen. Start become a troller. And believe you me, the police are going to clamp down on you so fast. It's LBC 97.3. Time now, 5.30. LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. 26 and a half minutes to six. The only reason I'm being precise this morning is just to make sure you're aware it's day two of the RMT strike. RMT, which stands for Ruins My Travel. Thank you very much indeed, Philip, for that one. We're looking for other, uh, other ways of turning RMT into something quite funny. Well, funnier than they are at the moment, I'm afraid. Uh, on the subject of Little House, Paul in Manchester had said the uh, satellite channel True Entertainment is not only showing Little House, but also Road to Avonlea, the sequel to Anne of Green Gables, which we mentioned when discussing famous Canadians last week. The channel also runs the Waltons, MASH and Chicago. Hope it's Sky 184. Wow. 
I don't, you see, I don't know these things because I don't have anything on satellite. I don't have any satellite dish at all, I'm afraid. I feel a bit, a bit bad about the whole thing. Uh, Little House, uh, the DVDs are remastered. Oh, how wonderful. I wonder what year it came from. I wonder what the year was for Little House on the Prairie. And John in Heathrow, it's very funny for the RMT, but unfortunately I can't, I can't mention it. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Lynn in Bushy says, my husband bought me the box set of Little House on the Prairie. It's wonderful. And by the way... Thanks a bunch, Mr Crow, for making us all miserable and for calling it a success. <laughs> it's, it's, because, it's because, you know, Bob Crow is like that, I'm afraid. A complete, uh, a complete idiot, I'm afraid. And uh, he calls it a success. It's basically because he loves the idea of ruining people's lives. But that's, that's just the way he is, I'm afraid. Uh, who's this? The Stallone facelift shock. Sylvester Stallone's mother has popped out to buy a stove and revealed when it comes to plastic surgery, she's a bit overcooked. Jackie Stallone is 92, and so she's had lots of this surgery. Now, she did appear over here, if memory serves, on a reality show. Did she do a Big Brother or something like that? Whoever it is, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, she's just Sylvester Stallone's mother. We've had various people over the years. Uh, we had Leslie Ash. Remember, I, I talked to Leslie Ash about... This, uh, pro- she looked fine close up. It's just that the cameras catch her on bad days. Uh, Joan Rivers has had 739 procedures and does look as though she's in a wound tunnel. She doesn't look as though she can actually move anything. Uh, the socialite Jocelyn Wildenstein is hooked on facelifts, but unfortunately she looks absolutely grotesque. Uh, Pete Burns always looked grotesque. Uh, Melanie Griffiths, too many, too many cuts there. And Mickey Rourke. Has also had a lot of uh, surgery. Why do they bother doing it? And I suppose it becomes like having tattoos. Lewin Waltham Abbey says, RMT, refuse to move trains. Good. That's good. I'm looking for something a bit better. I like John in Heathrow's, but I can't, uh, can't, uh, can't reveal it, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm so happy, says Mike, that the US Navy is sending a ship full of their finest sailors to help out if there's a terrorist alert at the Winter Olympics in Russia. I could just imagine the Russians' faces as thousands of may, may, gay men come dancing down the gangplank to the sound of glory again as I will survive. Joe in Bromley thinks RMT sounds like ridiculous Millicent toe rags. It doesn't, the trouble is it doesn't, it doesn't kind of make any sense, this strike, now that we've heard yesterday from the TSSA and also from Boris saying that a thousand people who work in ticket offices have applied for voluntary redundancy. Why not? Why not? There are jobs out there to be had. Just got to fight for them, but there are jobs out there. Take your redundancy, go work somewhere else. Jay Jones took ecstasy and smoked cannabis. He said, I didn't even know who he was, actually. I could vaguely remember that he was in uh, an R&B band called Damage. And he's with Emma Bunton. But he's admitted that he, uh, he took Rick, uh, these drugs... And he said he knew fans would be stunned by the revelation. I don't think fans are stunned anymore, I'm afraid, Jade. I mean, I hate to, hate to burst the bubble, but I think people just go, oh, it's pop stars, that's what they do. We all imagine that pop stars take drugs and sleep with lots of women, and occasionally they get outed as gay. And that's, and that's about as far as it goes. I don't ever believe anybody... I mean, I'm not... I'm as cynical as to think that I don't believe any of these people can actually sing for a toffee. Otherwise, they'd be in West End musicals. And if they really enjoy singing so much, why are they not in West End musicals or appearing in shows or backing bands or fronting bands and things like that? And the answer is they don't, because they're all assembled. They have nothing to do with music at all, I'm afraid. Nothing at all to do with it. Uh, Who's this? It's a picture of... Oh, it's uh, Jason uh, Gardner and Karen Barber. 
They've got a, a new beef between them. Uh, head judge Robin Cousins is taking two weeks off to attend the Winter Olympics. And in his absence, the bosses have made Karen head judge. So the move, of course, has left Jason livid. Uh, the power shift means that Karen, who famously disagrees with Jason on almost every point, will now have the ability to overrule her rival. Uh, she's not just a judge on the show. She's the one having the fling with Christopher Dean at the moment. That's how she's been elevated. She also coaches the celebrities. And uh, a source said Jason is fuming about Karen's promotion. He thinks Karen only got the gig because of her relationship with Christopher. And Nikki Slater will return to fill the seat left by Robin. They're trying to do something to jazz up this dead-in-the-water programme. It's of no interest, I'm afraid, to anybody now. I mean, Karen Barber, a ridiculous woman. Uh, Jason can also be a ridiculous woman. <laughs> That's what makes it so fun, I suppose. But we don't, we don't really care, do we? I couldn't care less whether somebody's head judge or somebody isn't head judge. It's like... I don't know, it's like kids at school, I'm afraid. Just just not, you know, not getting on with it. I don't know what... I'm trying to work out... You will try and work out later on today when you're sitting or standing waiting for the buses to arrive later on this morning, day two. Uh, and you'll be looking at the pictures of Liz Hurley and the pictures of Bill Clinton. And I don't know quite what he's wearing. Whether or not it was a posh fancy dress party, I don't know. But there are claims that they have had an affair. She said, don't be so ridiculous. Of course not. Of course we've not had a, an affair. Uh, Naomi Campbell has been accused of bullying a Russian model on the face. Naomi Campbell, bully, surely not. I mean, how is this? How has this come about, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, the 43-year-old beauty who's been accused in the past of assaulting staff. I mean, it's outrageous. Outrageous slurs against her. Um, she denied picking on Kira uh, Dikia. Uh, Kira claimed her mental health suffered. She says Naomi hates Russians. No, no, she doesn't. She's been out with a few Russians. Although why they'd want to go out with her, I don't, I don't know. She seems to be fairly popular. I think people use her as a bit of a trophy, don't they? They go, well, I've been out with Naomi Campbell. Uh, I did laugh the other day. Louisa Ziesman. I know. Uh, she says, um, I think I'm going to be a presenter. I think I'd be very good, she said, on Daybreak. Um, she said, because people have said that I'm very good in sort of conversation. Unfortunately, love, I think it's very unlikely you're going to be getting any of those sort of gigs at all. I'm afraid you're going to have to continue with the sort of fake woman-on-woman -woman kind of thing which you're doing and embarrassing your, your, your child and probably your parents. I just imagine they must be totally thrilled by the way you've turned out. What an absolute credit to them you must be, ladies and gentlemen. And so here she is. Uh, Kevin Peterson wants to go on television to launch his TV career and he's thinking about Celebrity Big Brother. Kevin who? No idea. He was axed. He hopes a stint in the house would catapult him into show business. No, you're far too boring, Kevin. Far too dull, I'm afraid. And uh, he's uh, aiming to, uh, they say, uh, emulate the media careers of Darren Goff, uh, who appeared on Channel 4's The Jump, and also won 2005 Strictly Come Dancing. Phil Tufnell was the I'm a Celeb Jungle champ and is now a question of sport team captain. So Kevin Peterson, 33, He's taking advice on the future from his pop star wife, Jessica Taylor, uh, and uh, Piers Morgan as well. But it's funny, isn't it? You know, sort of failed people, and then they go, you know, I, think I'll, I, think I'll, I think I'll sort of boost my career. I think I'll be a presenter. So poor old Louisa Zisman, a woman with no more talent than I have in my little finger, thinks, I'll be a TV presenter and I can do that programme. And you think, of course you can't. Don't be silly. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was secretly gay, apparently. But of course, now he's dead. You can say just about anything you like about him. And uh, he took drugs to battle his demons. Playwright David Barr Katz, who found him dead from a heroin overdose, said they were lovers. He says, we were gay lovers, we had a relationship. 
I mean, that could have been why they split. I mean, who? I don't know. Got no idea. But I suppose if you actually end up doing a lot of drugs, I suppose you can cross both sides of the fence, can't you? Uh, RMT, Robert making trouble. Yes, that's OK. Could be, could be quite good. Could be quite good. Chris and Islington says, uh, I've just bought the complete series of The Champions, very evocative of the 70s, Alexandra Bastido, who died a short while ago, Stuart Damon, who had slight problems with drink, and uh, lovely William Gaunt, who was in... Oh, what was he in? Was it wasn't Ask the Family. What was the programme that William Gaunt was in? My, my Family, Neighbours Next Door, I can't remember. But I think it had Martin Clunes in it as well. In fact, it did have Martin Clunes in it. I just can't remember what the name of the, uh, the series is. Uh, Johnny says, RMT, right messy trauma. Right messy trauma. That's quite good, actually. That's quite good. I do prefer, though, Robert Making Trouble. I think that's a very good one. Um, more on this explosion yesterday, which we reported live on LBC. And this is down in Clacton. And uh, out on the town, poor old Dappy. No real talent at all. And poor old Kirk Norcross. They were out in London. Oh, do stay out of London, please. It's for proper people. It's, you know, this is a local village for local people. We don't want people from outside coming into it. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, David Beckham. Suited and booted and trying not to smile where he looks a bit geeky. And beware, World Cup hookers. This was on the television yesterday. And it's child prostitutes in Brazil. They did a a documentary on the television ahead of the uh, Summer World Cup. 80 pence a time. 80 pence a time. Can't quite make it up, can you? No Place Like Home was the series. Uh, It was broadcast of five series. And it was William Gaunt and Patricia Garwood as Arthur and Beryl Crabtree a middle-aged couple who planned for the quiet life once their children are left home. Sadly, it is not to be. An early appearance by Martin Clunes. It was wonderful, actually. Daniel Hill, of course, and uh, who had married Beverly Adams. That's, that's Lorraine, who was Beverly Adams, married traffic warden Raymond Codd, played by Daniel Hill, uh, who was then replaced, I think, in the final series. They always do these sort of things. But Daniel's daughter works downstairs on our reception. It's his daughter who works on the reception downstairs. Ah, it's lovely. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, who's this a picture of? This is um, a takeaway serving up a death by pizza treat. So spicy. It is full of 20 Trinidadian Maruga scorpion chilies. Why do people want to eat this kind of stuff? You know the sort of stuff you put in your mouth and they go, ha, ha, ha. You think it's too hot. It's too hot. Why would you want to put yourself through things like that? I can't even do a hot curry, I'm afraid. I can't even do a, a hot curry. There's a woman here, Helen Ratcliffe, um, and she swindled £33,000 in benefits. This was the, in the paper the other day. Remember we had a picture of the bride who, in fact, was a former man. It was her former husband. They split up. Then they got back together again. But she kept on claiming £33,000. And then they say she escapes prison. I'm sorry, she should have been thrown into prison immediately. I don't understand. Some juries in some parts of the country find these people guilty and the judge goes, right, a suspended sentence. And you think, no, she's fiddled it. She's fiddled it. You know, let's get the money back. It's no good just get, all right, don't, don't send her to prison, but let's get the money back from these people. These judges, they're out of touch with what people want in this country. We want short, sharp shock treatment. We want hang them and flog them. It's as simple as that. You don't want to start to go, oh, you take as much money as you want, love. You fiddle as much as you can. 14 to 6. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. RMT says Matthew stands for really mean to travellers. Yeah. 
I think I think that's good actually. They don't care about you though. They don't care. Well, I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think the RMT members don't care about you. I think Bob Crow doesn't care about you. I think he only cares about himself. And that's and because he's a dinosaur, because he's stuck in another era. You know, he is the sort who would probably wear a red tie, you know, and things like that. It's it's just, it's back in the dark ages. Things have moved on. Uh, RMT, Steve, stands for Reimburse My Ticket. It's quite good, actually. They're getting very, you're very good at these ones, actually. Better than I thought. Um, you're right, Steve, says Pinot. It's all about power. Look at the French president of France. Not a looker, but he has had an affair with an, with, an, with an actress. Well, I know it's, it's people who've got money or power or a combination of both. That's a very heady cocktail. That's a great experience. You know, somebody on the radio is successful. You know, because people write to you, people are nice about you. I mean, yesterday when I tweeted about the, the man knitting on the train, I mean, the response was instant from people. It was hilarious. I was sitting on the train. I mean, a bit of a laugh to myself. I must have looked mad to other people. Weather for today. I forgot to tell you the weather. Mainly because I thought yesterday we had a little bit of sleet in London. I distinctly looked at the rain thinking it looked a bit like snow. And then I thought it's a bit sleety. Uh, heavy showers this afternoon, I'm afraid. A bright start, but becoming cloudy. Take your galoshes. Eight degrees centigrade. Currently it's seven. Tonight, persistent rain for many areas. Turning more showery later. Tomorrow, cloudy with rain. Brisk winds to start Friday. Brightening up with sunny spells in a few showers. The high, ten centigrade. And Saturday and Sunday, wet with gales. Hail and thunder possible. Monday, drier spells. Lighter winds but staying cold. I thought it was quite cold yesterday. thought it was very cold yesterday. I want to say I had an experience in Marks and Spencer. I go in there. And I buy some water, because I've run out of water and I haven't been to Costco. So I'm going there to buy some water. So I bought two big bottles of water and a six-pack of little bottles to stick in the fridge. So I said to the girl, uh, 9p bag, please. Because like, even though people are saying that the government's plastic bag fiasco is a total disaster, I think it's quite successful. I'm quite happy. It's never bothered me paying for a plastic bag to walk out of a supermarket. I use them for rubbish bags anyway, so it makes it 9p, for goodness sake. I'm not going to break a sweat over that one. So I said, uh, 9p bag. So she goes, we haven't got any. So I thought, well, you had some earlier on today because I had one. So I didn't say anything. And so she said to the bloke next door, she went, um, on the next till, she said, we've got any nine p bags. I thought she's obviously not going to put herself out for this one at all. And she so went, no. But then he obviously thought, oh, wait a minute. I'll have a look. So he turned around and he went, yes, uh, I've got them here. So he gave it to her. So I said, I knew you had them. So, of course, she hated me immediately. You know, the moment you sort of, you know, somebody on the till, face like a squash pineapple, she's not happy at all. And so I said, I knew you had them. I said, because I came in earlier. She said, we never had them yesterday. So I said, I didn't come in yesterday. I thought, why do they always put them in argument? Why can't they just admit that, you know, she was bone idle and she couldn't be bothered to turn around or go looking for a 9p bag? Didn't have them yesterday. Well, I wasn't in yesterday. Ridiculous. Looks like you spent more time troweling her makeup on than doing anything else. Uh, 84850, steve at Um, um uh, trying to find something else, actually. Oh, the hotel inspector starts again. I like the hotel inspector. I like it when she tells people off. I'm very, I'm very big into the telling people off department. Although they don't take any advice. You think, well, she did tell you. She did tell you. Uh, yoghurt's the key to beating diabetes. A yoghurt every other day. Uh... Apparently, the superfoods packed with health-boosting flavours are, wait for this one, chocolate. But it's got to be good chocolate. Do you remember we explained the other day? Good chocolate. Not, not just cheap dairy milk chocolate kind of stuff. Maple syrup. 
Oh, this is going to be good for diabetics. I've got no idea. It must be all sugar. Cherries. Oh, see, cherries come back in again. This is about the third or fourth time we've looked at cherries as a, almost a superfood. Uh, red wine. Typical. I don't like red wine. I only drink, drink white wine. Coffee. It's good for you. Cocoa. Green leafy vegetables. Fish oils. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Beans. Skinless chicken. What have I been saying all the time? You can have Kentucky Fried Chicken, but take the skin off. But that's the bit that tastes nice. Once you take the skin off, it's quite dull chicken, isn't it, really? From all these places. And brown rice is very good for you. Brown rice. I'll be telling you, funny enough, no pui lentils in here, I've noticed. Not a mention of a pui lentil in sight. But uh, some people eat them, you know, the caftan wearers listening at the moment. And uh, But you drink red wine? Do you, see, I don't drink red wine. Do you, drink, uh, do you eat skinless chicken? No, you see, people like that, the, don't they? If, if you go out, you go into a shop, some of them have got rotisserie chickens. They've got them in Costco and loads of other places. And you think, oh, I could just go... Rot-. And, of course, the thing you like eating is the skin. The skin, which is all crispy and got a coating on it. And if you have it in Kentucky, it's got that, you know, Colonel Sanders' secret little recipe, because he was mad as a fruit bat. And he didn't want to tell anybody what was on it, so it's just herbs and spices. I mean, it shouldn't actually take too long to actually analyse it. It should take it to a laboratory and say, what is it? And they'll go, well, it's breadcrumbs, it's this, it's this, it's this. It just tastes nice when it's fried. Take that off and the chicken's fine. It's like if you're going to have a pizza... Don't have a deep pan pizza, have a little thin pizza, like they eat in Italy, like the Italians eat. They don't have Hawaiian pizza. You go to Italy and go, can I have a, a Hawaiian? They go, what Hawaiian? You go, it's, it's pineapple and ham. <laughs> you can see them in the kitchen. Hey, Luigi, you want ham and pineapple. You know, it's just not going to happen, is it? So, you know, a thin pizza, that's, that's the best ones for you. Um, more people are using insulin now than ever before. I think there's something like... 400,000 people. I feel in quite a privileged little group, actually. I'm in that that group of 400,000 people. Uh, More on DLT. Also, the jury in the uh, trial of Bill Roach have retired to consider their verdicts. When they're expecting a a result, I don't know. I've got no idea. Normally, they, they say, oh, we think this could be a trial that lasts so long we think that you know after the judge is summing up we think the jury could be out for you know two weeks or this one or a week or whatever it happens to be uh, who else did I say? oh I saw Tina Hobley the other day I was having a chat to some friends of mine and Tina Hobley went hi because she was a, a guest with us a short while ago uh, on In Conversation this week it's going to be Barbara Taylor Bradford and Reese Shearsmith and we'll have clips from both of those In Conversations which go on this coming Sunday morning for you tomorrow uh, Reese, who's got uh, a new series, I think it started last night on BBC Two. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. The amount of people I speak to, huge fans, huge fans of Reese Shearsmith, and so we talk about all sorts of things, including Andy Nyman, who seems to crop up in more of my conversations now than anybody. Every time I go out and I do a conversation, Andy Nyman creeps in there somehow. Uh, lady who wants some money, £100,000, and mortgages will go on until you're about 67. The great story of the week, though, is a father who lost his left hand in a firework accident. You can only think stupidity, but they've given him a bionic hand. And in this bionic hand, he can, they've attached uh, to his nerves in the top bit of his arm, he can actually feel the object. His fingers know, it's, and it sends a message to his brain. So they blindfolded him and said, what is this object? Is it, bear in mind, it's a bionic hand. He can move the fingers independently. They said, what is it? And he can tell you if it's a hard or a soft item. So he's got that feeling back. It's the first time they've ever come up with anything like this. I should imagine it has cost 
untold millions of pounds to develop the technology. It's a bit like the six million dollar man. We can rebuild him. So because his arm is only a stump, they put this thing over it, attach these electrodes to the top bit of his arm where he's still got the feeling which sends the message to the brain and he can now have a sense of touch again. It's absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, There's a man who sold his beloved Porsche to set up a firm and then 25 years later he bought it back. You hear of that, don't you? I've often liked, liked to wonder where one of my cars went to. I used to have a Mini years ago, a little brown Mini. Unfortunately, on the day I bought it, we lost the uh, the door and a friend of mine, Jimmy, burnt the passenger seat, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and I'd love to know whether it's still going or whether or not it's, it's ended its days confined to a scrapyard. Not good, is it? Mini estate agent selling a family home. Two kids who've done a description of their house and they got the full price in just six days. How cute are they? We'll tell you about them. And also the forgotten loved ones who deserve a war memorial. And did she or didn't she? Liz Hurley and Bill Clinton years ago go to a party. Uh, as claimed in a new book from a very dubious source, uh, he reckons that Bill Clinton and Liz Hurley had a relationship which involved naughtiness. She's saying, don't be so silly. And he's saying, I did not have relations with that woman. News at six, it's next. LBC 97.3. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC 973. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Welcome along to the programme. It's Thursday morning. It's another day in London town. It's day two of the tube strike. Trains, RMT, RMT, RMT. Okay, we're looking for, for what you can do. With the words, or with the letters, RMT. Ron says, remember Maggie Thatcher. Remember Maggie Thatcher, because she got rid of the unions, or she tried to, as much as she, uh, as much as she could. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. TFL have said they have a thousand applicants for redundancy. Uh, what they actually have is that many people who've asked for, what will I get if I take redundancy? It's a spin. Well, I mean, even so, you know, they, they, they're, they're going to be offering... Favourable packages, I think. People are asking the questions. They're worried for their jobs. I don't know why. You know, I mean, this is this has been, as I said the other day, what about the banking industry? But they've got rid of thousands of people. Thousands. This is just ticket offices where it's been proven that you don't actually need this many ticket offices. Many are not open all the time. You know, the information you can get from all the staff who are out there on the platforms as it is at the moment, you don't necessarily, you know, all right, if you're buying a ticket at the ticket office, which is a very rare occurrence, I never see people at ticket offices, apart from Covent Garden, surprisingly, because I think that's a tourist hub there. All the mainline stations, the people in the ticket, they just sit there staring into the distance. Because there's 40 ticket machines outside which people manage to uh, to use. Some will inevitably go, says Anthony in Croydon. Uh, others may see a derisory offer. Others may weigh up the options and look to go. But equally, some realise it's not a good idea. TfL are spinning the strike faster than the Labour Party before an election. But at the end of the day, if they say they've got a 1,000 people taking... They're looking to save £50 million. There's no two ways about it. They're looking to save £50 million. Bob Crow has said, oh, the people at the ticket office are the eyes and ears of the, the state. No, no, they're not. They're just so not. You know, all this rubbish about, you know, without them, we're going to see an increase in crime. I don't know why you'd see an increase in crime. People hiding behind ticket machines waiting to launch an attack on people. You know, so there's sort of elderly people can't go. He makes out as if elderly people are stupid or something. Elderly people are way ahead of it. He's the dinosaur. He's the one stuck in the dark ages. But 
irrespective and putting all of that to one side, the one thing that Londoners did yesterday was they, they got off their tube trains and they walked. And they walked and they took buses and they took taxis. And all right, it was an inconvenience for a lot of people. It was an inconvenience. But they still did it. They still did it. You know, we're not, we're not such wusses in London. We've experienced this. We've had lorry drivers strike. We've had marches. We've had people from other countries demonstrating about things happening overseas that have nothing to do with us. And we put up with that. We've had yobs defacing our statues. We've had people throwing things. We've had rubber bullets. We've had, you know, they might have water cannon yet. That'll be good to give some people a good old wash. You know, we've had it all. We've seen it all in London. We're kind of immune to it. As many people over the age of uh, 55 will tell you, we came through a war, thank you very much indeed. You don't really think a tube strike is going to affect us? No. That's where LBC comes to its own. You know, we can advise you and you can, you know, help other people. That's what we do. People are doing car sharing. The car parks will fill up early. The thing to do is on tube strike days, leave earlier. So you wake up earlier and you come into town earlier. Better for you. Better for you. Get things done. Get things done. Uh, Declan said, I use patches to give up smoking. I stuck him over my eyes. I couldn't find the cigarettes. Got a, got, got a reaction from the producer on that one, so that's, uh, that's good. Uh, 84850, steve at uh, We'll definitely be buying some daffs for cheerfulness. I like that idea, actually. There's lots of daffodils about at the moment. You've seen buckets in the supermarket full of daffodils. It's the only flower that can actually cheer you up. It just makes you feel happy when you look at daffodils. You know, big bunch, they're about a pound a bunch for about six of them. It's cheap for a little bit of happiness, ladies and gentlemen. So happiness today could be, could be a bunch of daffodils. Uh, RMT stands for, Steve says, Frank, running minimum trains. Lazarus says, RMT, route master time. Lovely. And uh, wouldn't it be funny, Steve, if the Olympic Village was screening Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, <laughs> carrying... In Whitstale. Where's Whitstale? I've never heard of Whitstale. I've heard of Whitstable. I've never heard of Whitstale. That sounds quite... Perhaps it is Whitstable. Perhaps you missed out the letter on there. Actually, well, they're, they're slightly worried about the, uh, about the Olympic Village people because they think that's got a gay connotation, so they might have to change that. A little bit worried. Uh, RMT represents majority travelling. Exactly. Uh, 84850. Apparently some tube users back the strike, says Andy. Good heavens above, you must be in a minority, mustn't you? You must be in a minority. It serves no useful purpose in London at all. At all. You know, unless you're an ace bozo and you've never managed to master a ticket machine. There is no hope for you whatsoever. RMT, Steve. Really miserable trolls. Patsy says, RMT, rich man's tantrum. Quite like that one. I quite like that one. They're very good, actually. Uh, Ian says, RMT, rarely manned trains. You're very good on this one this one. I'm glad we thought of this one, actually. I think this is a... I feel as I could have eclipsed James O'Brien on that. He'd be, he'd be thinking, RMT, what could that stand for? Uh, Steve Allen did that earlier. So much easier. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Um, uh, Dave says... I think these tube workers are worried. If they lose their job, they'll have to get a proper job. I wouldn't mind getting paid for staring into space. Well, do you know yesterday, this is, this is very odd, this was nothing to do with them. I was down at Waterloo Station, and I was standing looking at the train timetable, thinking, which one shall I get? And I kid you not, there were 12 workers from the railway standing in front of me behind the barriers. There were two ticket collectors with their little machines for people who've failed to buy a ticket. Uh, there were a lot of other people standing around. And at one point, I counted, I think, 15 people standing right in front of me by, by Platform 16. And I was going to take a picture and go, what are they doing? What are they doing down there? 
you know, are they waiting for a passenger to go up? Some of them are helping to get people through barriers, but, I mean, that happens infrequently. It happens occasionally, but it's, it's really not that much. I began to think, what do they all do? They did look a bit bored. Many of them on their mobile phones, you know, and sort of texting and stuff like that. I'm assuming, of course, it was work business, work-related. Uh, 84850, uk. Shepherd's Bush was a vision of hell yesterday, says Andrew. Well, I mean, it is normally, but particularly so during the strike. Well, there were queues at bus stops, weren't there, everywhere, because people were getting buses, you know, as opposed to car sharing or something like that. You know, it was RMT, says Will, ruin my Thursday. <laughs> um, RMT, Steve, stands for Robert Has Your Money Trousered. That's a good one. You're actually you're quite adventurous this morning, actually. Um, Malcolm says, my friend swears by brown bread since being since seeing it being made. He's a Hovis witness. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> gets worse, doesn't it, I'm afraid. Uh, TMT? No, TM, no, it's RMT we need. So, Bob, we need more about that, I'm afraid. Rare, I like rarely manned trains. I think that's a, that's a pretty good one. Pretty good one. And uh, Derek Akora was talking to Sam, his spirit guide, when you chat to your producer. What was that, Sam? Say it again, Sam. Oh, yes, Sam. <laughs> so it goes, uh, poor old Derek Akora. I mean, you know, if you believe that old twaddle, you'll believe in, you'll believe in pixies, fairies and the Loch Ness Monster. The mini estate agents are selling a little home. And this is uh, two little kids. This is uh, Ella, Penny and brother Thomas, both eight. No, sorry, one's eight, one's six. And they did 40 hand-drawn flyers featuring a sketch for their house and a number for would-be buyers to call Daddy. And so they, and they stuck them up and they put them in uh, a cardboard letterbox outside the house so people could take them. And blow me down, they got two offers for the full asking price of a quarter of a million and the sale was agreed two days later. Now they're set to move to their dream home on the other side of Taunton in Somerset, presumably a bit that hasn't flooded. And uh, the children have saved their parents... Four and a half thousand pounds in estate agent fees. 1.5% of the sale price plus 20% VAT. So well done to them. And there's a picture of the kids here. I mean, I think it's great, isn't it? They've saved all that money. I hope their mummy and daddy are listening when we go national. And then they'll be buying you both a huge present. Because if he's saved that much money, he owes you big time. Perhaps he'll put it in an account for you. But I love the way they get them to pose in their school uniforms, holding their little flyer of what their house is like. Quarter of a million. Just shows what you get around the country for a quarter of a million. London, barely buy you a flat in London. 14 minutes past six. Edward Crowley and the team with you this morning at seven. Everything you need to know to keep you moving during the second morning of the Tube Strike. I look on this as you had the rehearsal yesterday... Now you've got the proper things. You know what you're doing. Now you know where the where the full buses are going to be. So perhaps you arrange the journey a little bit differently. Plus, as the UK faces weeks more of weather misery, and it is misery. Take my word for it. Nick will be finding out how you're coping. Kent's bad, isn't it? Kent's bad, I'm afraid. And should a child be expelled for having mini cheddars in their lunchbox? I thought that's what people had in their lunch. I never had a lunchbox at school. I was one of those unfortunates who had to suffer with school dinners, which I thought were excruciatingly awful. But when you're young, you just put it down to the fact it's awful, and if you don't eat it, you don't eat it. Simple as that. I don't think we ever starved. I don't remember starving. But we did have swede. We did have mashed potato with lumps in it. We did have tapioca, frog spawn pudding. We did have... We never had jelly. I always wanted jelly. We never had jelly or anything like that. And what the main courses were, I couldn't begin to tell you. I can't remember any of that side of it. Funny, I only remember Swede. I can remember the metal things. I can remember a, a jug, a coloured jug of sort of like a metal kind of 
material. It wasn't actually metal. It could have been aluminium or something. And the water jug was filled up and you had glasses on the table and so you had water. There were no fizzy drinks. But what we had for main course, I've got no idea. I suppose we'd have had stuff like cottage pie. and I'm assuming, We can't have that every day, can you? But I always feel sorry for the kids who used to have the packed lunches because they made them sit on a separate table. And they all sat there with their sort of varying degrees of Tupperware boxes. And it was always the fat kid who had the biggest Tupperware box. And he would have the two chocolate biscuits, you know. And he would have the, uh, the, the mini cheddars. And he would have primula cheese and all sorts of things like that. Whereas the other kids just had peanut butter sandwiches. Uh, Rachel Jane, deputy editor of the Sunday Express, is looking at the papers this morning for Nick Ferrari. Let's quickly go back to your, your texts and uh, emails on the subject of my old car. Apparently... To check if the car's got insurance, I can I can go online to see if it's got road tax. That's a nice idea. I like that idea, Alan. Checking whether or not it's got road fund licence. That's an interesting... I didn't know you could do that, actually. I didn't know you could do it. Um, Mark and Lee Green, thank you uh, for that one. As if we can really use RMT for that one. Again, made, made the producer laugh. So I suppose that's always a start, isn't it, nowadays? Uh, David says, at my mum's local tube station at Loughton in Essex on the central line, the ticket office is closed most of the time anyway. However, contrary to Johnson's claims, there are lots of smiling staff hovering around, only too happy to help if you have a problem. At Loughton, they hide away in the office, which is on the other side of the mechanical rottweilers. Sorry, the ticket barriers. So you can't get to speak to them as you need a ticket to get through the blooming thing in the first place. Obviously, there is method in the staff's madness. So I've never had any... I mean, I can manage to get round the, the tube system, you know, fairly happily. I wasn't that OK with it years ago, but, you know, years of living in London. We're not idiots. We do know how to get from A to B. And I can actually read, you know, a tube map. 84850, steve at uk. It's amazing, actually. Everybody's agreeing with me. Because I think it's absolutely right. The strike is totally pointless. I'm with Boris, I'm afraid, on that one. Um... Steve, when they say skinless chicken, they mean cooked without the skin on. Yes, absolutely. Yes, no, you, you, you have to have it without the skin on. I was joking about the Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, you must have realised... Well, maybe not. Uh, 84850, uh One here. Um, RMT, repeating miners' tactics, says Ian in Brentwood. I like that idea. Uh, I like that idea. I like that's very good actually. Very very good indeed. Uh, RMT says Catherine, it's really moronic thinking. Thank you. And uh, Bernie says I can't see Boris or Bob backing down as neither will want to be seen as the weakest. Well, that's the trouble. You know, uh, Kath says you're right. Machines can do these jobs, but these people who work and want to work, they're probably just simply worried that if their jobs go and they have to leave, they won't get another job in the present climate. Well, that's a defeatist attitude. That's ridiculous. If, you, if everybody thought like that, you'd stay in and burst into tears. They're also redeploying them. They're redeploying them. They're being used. They're just being used on the platforms. I mean, perhaps it takes them out of, you know, sitting on their bottom on a chair. I don't know. But that's it. So, uh, so Kath, that's how it works. You know, and they, so they leave the one of another job. They're getting redundancy. Good God in heaven, honestly. I mean, how can people be this dumb? They're going to get redundancy money if they take it. I don't know what the redundancy package is. We're not privy to that kind of information. But then it'd be quite nice to sort of find out. You go, that's great. You've been there so many years. That's what you get. And you don't lose your job. They give you something else or they redeploy you. But as most people seem to, uh, seem to want to take it, so they've said, whether it's true or not, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, 84850, steve at 
Uk. Uh, somebody says uh, eventually people will begin to hate Bob Crow and the RMT. I don't think I don't think people hate Bob Crow and the RMT. Just, they just think it's something else that you've got to put up with if you live in London. You have to put up with the fact that there are inconveniences. You have to put up with the fact that there are roadworks. You have to put up with the fact that just when you think we've... I mean, I don't think there's ever been a day in London since I've been working in the capital in more than 40 years that there has not been roadworks or some something that disrupts your travel from A to B. There's always something. There's always something that ruins your day. There'll be an accident. We saw an accident the other day. I was coming back with Charlie Girling from the movie, and there was a car that was reversing, if you please, out of a street on Shaftesbury Avenue. And it crashed into the car behind, and there was an awful crunching. And, of course, I mean, I take great pleasure when these things happen, because I think you're not supposed to be reversing out anyway onto a main road. It's, it's totally illegal. Jackie thinks we had spam fritters greasy with the batter dropping off. I don't think we were rich enough to have spam fritters at our school lunches. If anybody remember... If, if anybody can actually remember what... What people had for their school lunches? Do let me know because I'm, I'm. I can remember the pudding side of it, sponge pudding jam. I seem to remember jam, sponge pudding, uh, jam on the top with desiccated coconut sprinkled onto it. I think that's about. I think that's about it. Martin Rex used to get a sixpence in the Christmas pudding at school. We never even had Christmas pudding. You weren't even at school for Christmas pudding. What sort of school were you at? Ah, yours was probably approved, wasn't it, I should imagine. I hope the traffic is calmer today. Three hours to do a 45-minute drive yesterday. And that's from east to west. Yeah. But we can do it. It's it's not that it's, it's not doable. You can actually do it. You know, it isn't that difficult. 84850, Steve at LBC. Uh, Reversing Margaret Thatcher policy, says Des, for RMT. Not quite good enough on that one. It's good. Good. Uh, another one here. Let's quickly get uh, get these ones in as fast as we can. On the subject of the, the RNT, ruin my tubes. Good work for any a man, all manner of things. Good. Oh, I've got to go. I've just realised. We'll have a free podcast for you up in half an hour. It's our, it's our celeb fest, ladies and gentlemen. And you can get that on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. UK, not to be missed. And then there's a paid-for podcast a little bit later on. Please download. Thousands and thousands of you do every day. And as you've heard in the news, even more people will be downloading and we get ever nearer D-Day. That's D-A-B Day for next week when LBC goes national. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. Have a great day. Nick and the team with you at seven. Next, the morning news with Lisa Aziz.